But yeah, sure, that's fine. I can make it. I, no, I'm sorry. I can make it on Friday, but the problem is, um, can I call you back? <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that'd be great. Alrighty, bye-bye. <laughs> honey, honey, what are you looking for? Why do you need a blue highlighter? I already found the yellow ones and the pink ones. No, I mean, why do you need a highlighter at all? Aren't you just going to see a movie with Kristen? <laughs> Whole clothes, right? No. Here it is. I told her we're not going to go to the movies tonight. We're going to go someplace where we can talk. What about primary colors? <laughs> no, we're going to go talk about Jesus. Oh, wow. She's been asking about Jesus? No, and it's about time she did. I see. Uh, maybe I'm out of the loop here. You know, I don't know. But uh, what are the highlighters for? Paul, what do you think they're for? For you know, you know, highlighting things, highlighting, highlighting things, sure, sure. things, <laughs> highlighting things. I should have known. Uh, have you thinking. seen my verse cards, honey? No, I haven't seen your verse cards. Uh, are you sure you need all that stuff? Because you're just gonna talk to her, right? How do, how do I know what I'm gonna need? I don't what I'm gonna need. I mean, do you know what I'm gonna need? I mean, all I know is I, this has just gone on long enough, you know? What? Christian and I, going and eating out together and then going to the movies and, and hanging out and talking about our lives and having fun. Yeah, boy, that's gotta stop. <laughs> Stopwatch! I mean, that could be very essential! Oh, wait, wait. Oh, my goodness. Honey, help me. Sherry, are these... Cue cards? Oh, <laughs> don't you have anything better to do? I mean, couldn't you, like, make a phone call, call something? Or if you're just going to sit there and be totally non-supportive, you would at least look for my little tiny pencil sharpener. You think there? Honey? Are you all right? I'm fine. Is there anything that I can do? Me, me, me. I, what? 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 No. What's the matter? I don't know. I thought you enjoyed spending time with Kristen. I do. Then what's the problem? Look, look. Maybe I should just not go out tonight, okay? We'll go home. I'll cook dinner, no, okay? No. I... My sister called last night and... She was so excited about her friend Cindy that she helped lead to Christ, and she was so glad that God let her be a part of that. I see. So you suddenly felt the need to tell Kristen about Jesus. Yeah, I mean, Paul, I've been hanging out with her for like a year now, and having fun, and I keep waiting for it to come up, you know? And it just doesn't. It doesn't come up. And... Not making any difference in her life at all. Honey, that is not true. That's just not true. Listen, you're doing the right thing. I mean, talk to her about Jesus. That's fine. But look, you gotta calm down. Yeah. It's not all up to you to save Kristen, all right? Now look, let's let's see what we can get rid of here. <laughs> kind of thin out the table. <laughs> cue cards, cue cards can go. We don't need those. What's the matter? I just want to go see Hope Float.
Well, we've been talking about what our ministry is to our friends. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what our ministry is to our believing friends. And that is just to encourage their faith. The world will just punch your faith out of you if you let it and just drain you of it. And so we're out there to just encourage one another in the faith. But what is our ministry to our non-believing friends? Most of us have someone we love dearly. We love spending time with them. But we're just really feeling the pressure here. And, and we don't know exactly how to approach them. We don't want to seem artificial. We don't want to impose an agenda. But yet, we love them enough to want to share with them the best thing in our life. How should we feel about hanging out with them? And then maybe how can we approach that whole deal? Well, uh, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to Matthew chapter 11. I know that in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 6.14... There's a verse about not being yoked with unbelievers. And I believe that means in partnership. Um, Because with those folks that you have an everlasting bond and you're trying to achieve an agenda together, it really is important that you have um, your deepest values in common. That's why we do not marry Christians and non-Christians in this church. Um, It's not that we think less of non-Christians. We know the depth of marriage and the, and the depth that that's going to take you. And that is, the scripture is just real plain about not putting yourself in that position. But does that mean then that you can't have a good friend who's a non-believer? You can't love a non-believer with all your heart. We don't think it does. We don't think it does. As a matter of fact, we think and know Jesus hung out with non-believers and enjoyed it. Look at verse uh, 15, where this is him talking. It's describing uh, both his disciples and himself. In verse 15 it says, He who has ears, let him hear. What shall I compare? To what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children. Uh, First of all, Jesus said, when you look at the world... You don't need to expect a great deal of maturity. That shouldn't be news to all of us. There, there are the world is basically children. I mean, we're basically immature, and so, but but he has some children trying to call out to other children and trying to get them engaged together with them. Now look at what he says. And they say, "We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance, so we sang a dirge." And you didn't mourn. You know, they're, they're all over the board with this thing. They're trying happy for happy people, sad for sad people. Nothing. They're getting nothing here. No response. Passivity. Now look at what it says. For John came, neither eating, eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. In other words, you can be as sober and as sour about your faith as you want to be. You can be holier than thou. And people will come up with something bad to say about you. Or you can take the other venue. If you're more like this, there are some people who are just basically sour. I mean, that's kind of who they are. They've always been sour, always be sour. So when they get the faith, they kind of sour with the faith. It's too bad, but that's how they are. But they're also happy people. And when they get the faith, woo, look out. And look at what Jesus said. But the Son of Man, that's him, 
came eating and drinking. You know what that means? It means he is like all the rest of us. He enjoyed life. He enjoyed the simple things. He enjoyed just being filled with food. He loved the taste. Loved, loved, loved being thirsty and getting that thirst satisfied. He says, so I came, I just came to be like you. I came to be with you and enjoy what you enjoy. Now look what happened. And they said, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard. Now, you know as well as I do, Jesus never sinned. Says that right in scripture. Says he was tempted in all manner as we are, but he never sinned. So you know he wasn't gluttonous, and you know he never got drunk, because both of those are a sin. But what, how did he get accused of this? He hung out with people who did. Hung out with people who ate way too much, and he hung out with people who got drunk. And so it, the, the reputation transferred to him, even though it was undeserved. Now, here's the risk of hanging out with sinners. Whoever you hang out with, remember, remember your mother saying, birds of a feather flock together. Remember her saying that? Well, she was acting for your protection. And most of the time, most people don't have the strength to be in peer groups when they're younger of a lot of sinners and not go that way. This is the, this is the point of this verse, by the way. The Bible never gives you excuse to sin. It only gives you excuse to love and be near those who do. Now, there's a risk in that. And the risk, you know, as long as you're in a holy huddle, you're cool, buddy. I mean, you could, I mean you're, there's no real risk being in a holy huddle. But when you go out and you're with other people, then you better get ready for some things to come back at you. I, I, Isaac, I, Isaac uh, talked to me the other day. I said, well, so what did you do last night after, the, after the, uh, the, uh, uh, this young adult uh, core group thing. I got like a hundred or more uh, young people who are being trained uh, to uh, be the core group for this Wednesday night service. And he said, oh, about 25 of us, they all hang out together. I mean, there's no, this, this generation doesn't seem to like pair up like ours did. I mean, they just kind of all hang out together. So they all, about 25 of us went down to swing dancing, swing dancing club downtown. I said, what? <laughs> he said, well, no, it's a nice place. Got, you got to wear a collar, you got to wear, you know, pants and all that kind of stuff. And they, people swing dance like they did in the 40s. Now, I can just hear it now. I can just hear it now. I'm going to get a phone call, guaranteed this week. Your husband, or your son, he's a dancer. <laughs> you know, there are Christians who think dancing is of the devil. He's a dancer, you know. And then it'll get worse. They'll, they'll associate swing. He's a swinger, I heard. He was a swinger. You know, whatever that means. I can just hear it. I can just hear it now. I can hear it about the whole group. But you know what I got? I don't enjoy the criticism, and I don't relish it coming, but it tells me that they're where they need to be some of the time. Isaac said he, he invited like six of the folks to, church, to the Wednesday evening service, and I know the rest of them were doing the same thing. And, and, and you know what he was doing? Hanging out with those sinners, just like Jesus. And then it says this, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. You know, the risk here is that you never know how it's going to turn out till afterwards. If, 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 if Christians go out and they go down the tubes, then that wasn't smart. But if Christians go out and others come to Christ, then that was smart. 
So there's risk. But the, the pattern of the life of Christ is clear. He had non-Christian friends. He had non-believing friends. And they accepted him time and time again. A friend of sinners. If he didn't accept them and if they didn't enjoy him, he wouldn't have been with them enough to be called a friend. Now, why did he do that? He did it basically because his purpose was to share the love of God. And you can only share the love of God. You can only share the love of God if you have an attraction toward that God. Now, God knew this, and he so created a universe that he wove into the fabric of the universe a basic principle. As a matter of fact, those of you who are physicists know this principle very well. In physics, you understand that there's a basic law of gravitational pull that has two characteristics. It is governed by two things. First of all, it is governed proportionately by the mass of the two entities. All entities, every entity in this universe has a mass that has a gravitational pull when it's around another mass. And the strength of that gravitational pull is proportionate to the product of their masses. In other words, the heavier the bodies, the stronger the gravitation. The larger the bodies, the stronger the gravitation. That's why we weigh more on Earth than we do on the moon. Earth is much bigger than the moon, so we weigh more and the gravitational pull is much, much stronger. Now I'm going to come back to that part of that, but I want you to, I want you to see the second part of that basic law. It is not only proportional to the product of the masses, but it is inversely proportional to the distance between the two. In other words, as the two get more separated, the pull is less. And so, there is an actual physical law of evangelism that says, you want somebody to be drawn to the kingdom, get near them. Get near them. That's that's why God became man. That's why he put skin on and came down in the first place. That's why Jesus hung out with sinners. He said in Scripture, the Bible says, he came to seek that which was lost. To seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose. He said many times when people said, well, you probably don't even know who you're hanging out with. I remember that scripture in Luke 7 where he goes to this Pharisee's house for dinner and there's this sinner woman that comes up behind him and starts crying on his feet, washing them all off with her tears. And the first thing the Pharisee says to, 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 in his mind is, if Jesus were really a prophet, he'd know what kind of person this is. Thinking he wouldn't even be around her. Of course he knew what kind of person she was. That's why he was there. He was hanging out, hoping she'd come near so he could tell her some good news. And Jesus said that all the time. He said, I didn't, come, I didn't come for you well people. I came for the sick. Well people have no need of a physician. Only the sick people do. And so I came for the sick. That's why. We came. Now, if that was Jesus' strategy, shouldn't that be ours too? It's not that we can always hang around with people with radically different values and not be affected by it. But it certainly is that we can't only hang out with Christians and think that we're doing them any favors at all. You know, love, 
always has a purpose, not always an agenda. This is a different thing from an artificial, okay, this is my timetable, this is my way. But we ought not to fool ourselves in thinking that love doesn't have a purpose. Isaac, was, we were talking about this week, and Isaac said, he said, Pop, love always has a purpose, and the purpose is always to do the one you love good. Well, here's the question. How can we do them good if we're never around them? Don't feel like you have some hidden, nefarious, um, um, uh, deep-seated, covert motive just because you want to do somebody some good and you want to give them what will help them. That's not the same thing as being artificial. And we'll, we'll, we'll tell you the difference as we go along. One of the reasons it's not is because the primary thing that we need to do is to build a relationship. We need to be able to allow ourselves to enjoy hanging out with people who don't know God. How many of you have family members who don't know God who you just absolutely love to be around? They're hilarious. They're hilarious people. And you think, you start laughing at their jokes. They're horrible jokes. You go, I shouldn't be laughing at this. And you probably shouldn't be. But you can't, there's something in there you kind of go, well, I kind of like it, though. It is funny. You know, anybody have friends like that? I, know I shouldn't laugh at them, but they are funny. I hate myself for life, you know, but they're funny. You know what it is? You enjoy them as people. You enjoy them as people. I know people who, who get their face all screwed up and go, oh, I've got to do evangelism. <laughs> something tells me they probably won't be very successful in their evangelism. It's only when you really love, really in, enjoy some folks, and, 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 you, and there's a genuine allowance for who they are. You know, Christians, you've got to remember that, that non-Christians have no choice, really, in, 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 in how they try to satisfy their needs. All they got's the world. That's all they know. We can't hold them to the same standards that we hold Christians to. Jesus put it like this, or the Bible puts it like this, really. And this is a horrible picture. But, it's, but, but, but there's a saying in the Old Testament that says they're like a dog that returns to its vomit. Now, that's really a repugnant saying, isn't it? But it's a very natural thing for an animal. I mean, they're, they're like the sow who, who, once he's washed off, goes right back to the mud. Now, that's, that's, that's a bad picture. But it's just how it is. Listen. Who, who, who of us can look down on an unsaved person who walks into Rachel's? If men, if you weren't a Christian, would you be in there? Now, if you are a Christian, you better never be in there. And don't be giving me the stuff you're doing evangelism. No, you're not. <laughs> I ain't buying. But, but wouldn't you? I mean, what else you got? What else you got but to satisfy your desires and to satisfy every appetite you have? There's nothing to look forward to if you're not a Christian. So you can't, you can't get all down on people of the world for being of the world. That's who they are. Of course they're going to do that. But there is a sense in which you can really enjoy hanging out with them. You can enjoy the prospect of giving them what you got. There's a, there's a picture in the movie Beckett. Some of you remember uh, historically uh, Beckett was... A friend of, I think it was King Henry II, I'm not sure, um, but um, they were both rogues, womanizers, drunkards, and, and, uh, and, and the Archbishop of Canterbury died. And, and 
And the king wanted to appoint Becket to that office so he wouldn't be bugged by these moral things anymore. And something happened that Becket did take a holy position. And taking that position changed his mind and changed his life. He decided he would be dedicated to God. And so there's this scene in the movie where, this, where, he, where he finally comes to what's important in life. And, and one of the vows is that you have to give away everything to the poor. And so he's called all these poor people into this church. And it starts out very seriously, you know, where he's just giving all his stuff, as well, stuff away. These people are just raggedy old and smelly. And, and then he starts grinning. And then he starts laughing. And he looks up at this picture of Jesus, and he points to it, and he says, You, <laughs> only you, only you know how much fun this is. It's fun being around people of the world and giving to them. It's fun. It's okay to love them just like they are. But if you're going to do them any good, and remember that's always the purpose of love, you've got to give them what they don't have yet, or at least try. And so you say, well, how can I not impose some artificial, okay, today's the day we go over the four spiritual laws, but create an environment where they get more curious about Jesus Christ so that it does come up. Is there anything I can do? Absolutely. I'm so glad you came tonight. There is. When you listen to people talk about their lives, you can ask questions that will drive them deeper. A couple of things you got to realize, we all got to realize about the things of the world. <laughs> Church people, this is, this, is this is by survey, this is true. Church people always think the people of the world are thinking much deeper than they are. Now, I mean, surveys have done, been done to church people. What do you think are the main concerns of non-believing people out in the world? And it always comes back the same. There's these real deep spiritual issues. Oh, I think they worry about the emptiness and the meaninglessness and the insignificance of life. Well, okay. Then they go out and they do surveys of non-believers who actually live in a world. And they say, what are your worries? And the, and the, and the answers are like, well, I got a uh, a phone bill I can't pay. And, I, and, I got, and my kid just, just kind of stuck his tongue out at me. And, uh, and, uh, and my car is making a funny sound. See, these, the world is not a deep place. The, the world's children. And, and it doesn't talk. The world's just trying to get along. It's just trying to make things work. And so... In order for that first principle of that, of that fundamental of physics, where, the, where, the, where the weightier the masses are, the more of a draw there is. Now let's take you as your, let's take your weight, for example. If you're a Christian, you know what the Bible says about you? The kingdom of God is within you. Whew. Man, you got all the weight in the universe. So it's not, your, your, your weight's not the problem, so to speak, metaphorically speaking. <clears throat> <clears throat> but you got this person over here who, they're not thinking about spiritual things until tragedy comes up. 
They're just trying to get along. They're trying to get along with their kids. They're trying to get along with their boss. They're trying to not sweat so much in the heat. It's, oh, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. And, and, and they're just, so how do you get to the place where they're, talk, where they're thinking about deep? Well, Jesus taught us that. You ask them questions. John 1.38, people were following him one day. He turned around and he asked him, he asked him this question. Uh, what are you looking for? Boy, what a great question. What a great question to ask people who are going through their lives and going through problems. What are you really looking for? That's a really, the Bible's full of very deep questions. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> George Barna, as in, as in his new book, Evangelism That Works, he has a style of evangelism that fascinates me. He calls it Socratic evangelism. You remember Socrates, the great Greek philosopher that taught truth by asking questions. He never, he never gave the answers and said, here, believe it or leave it. He, 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 he engaged people in dialogue, and then he would ask them what their answers were, and then he would point out logical inconsistencies in those and then ask uh, if they had maybe another answer. And, and so, they'd, so they'd keep going along, and he would just keep playing with their answers until they were in real deep territory. Christians, you can do the very same thing. You can do the very same thing. That's how you increase the size of their world. You get down to the deeper issues by asking questions. By asking questions. Be interested in their life. Don't go to your agenda. Stay on theirs. Their agenda ends up with God too. If you just ask questions. Because everything they have in their world hasn't worked yet or they wouldn't be going through the degree of problems they are. Now, you got to be honest and make sure they know your world isn't perfect. I know so many Christians who give this big, fake deal. Oh, Jesus, in my life, everything's perfect. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> uh, what did you do with you? Your life isn't perfect. There are parts of your life that stink. you got to be honest about that. But there's nothing that God can't supply in your life. And there's nothing that you need that God won't supply in your life. That's a whole different thing. Plus, you got heaven to look forward to. So there's a whole different world there in there. Now, when it comes to actual sharing of the faith, you know 90% of the people who share their faith, there are 60, according to surveys, I love to read surveys, I don't know how many are true. I suppose you can do anything with a survey, but I, just, I think it's kind of fun to, to read them. According to surveys, 60 million Christians will share their faith this year. Now, that's a lot of sharing, isn't it? Now, here's another one. 90% of them will do it at a time they hadn't planned to. So if, if it's time, if somebody just turns to you and says, well, okay, tell me about God. And your face is just kind of like hanging out. What does it require? Well, Joel Aldrich, when he wrote uh, uh, Friendship Evangelism, said there are really three things that are required for friendship evangelism. First of all, a significant presence in someone else's life. That is, you don't go in there just to improve them. You go in there to love them and, and to have a deep abiding relationship with them. Here, here's another, here's another uh, finding of surveys. That, you know, when, when it's, it, it's, it's, it's um, overwhelmingly agreed upon 
that when strangers share the gospel with most people, most people are annoyed by that. But when the person sharing the gospel is someone you know loves you, you're not annoyed. You're not annoyed. I know you think it annoys people that when you share, no, it doesn't. Not if they know you love them. So there's got to be a significant presence, number one. Number two, you have to be able to share what does Christ give them that nobody else does, that nothing else does. Now I hear person after person say an absolutely theological, theologically ignoramic thought. I love that. That isn't a word, is it? Theologically ignoramic? That's not a word. Anyhow, it's just dumb. This is a dumb thing to say. And it's theologically imprecise. I hear people say this. You know, all religions are pretty much the same. They all pretty much have the same things and say the same things. And they all have a lot in common. No, they don't. I mean, you don't have to study the original documents of the separate religions for very long to know they are radically different. All you have to do is go to the Vedas and compare it with the Pentateuch and compare it to, to the Quran and compare it to the New Testament to know that what is offered is absolutely radically different. There may be some things that religions have in common, but when it gets down to the fundamental tenets of those religions, they are very, very different. And here's the bottom line. What Christianity, what Christ offers... What Christ offers to every person that no religion in the world does except Christ is salvation by grace where they are right now, period. There, every other religion is works-oriented. you got to be better. you got to be good. you got to earn your way. Not Christ. Not Christ. You know... It has been said, Yancey said in the, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, the book What's So Amazing About Grace, he said, the world and religion really have the same motto in common. Think about it for a minute. The world and religion really have the same motto in common. There are no undesirables allowed. Now, you can be saying that whether it's a country club or whether it's a fundamentalist religion, and they'll say the same thing. There are no undesirables allowed. But grace says this. There are no undesirables. That's a huge difference. To say to somebody, I know that you've been trying all your life to be better and to be good and to be worthy and to be acceptable. You already are. Jesus paid the price for all the wrongdoings. And all you have to do is accept his gift because he's done it all. That's a message. And then the third thing you do, after you've explained that, after you explain when you've been separated from God, you don't need to be separated from God anymore, and you just need to accept what Christ has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself, then you wait for a decision. Because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I want that. But what they have to do is come to a place where they say, I want to, I want to place my life on that fact. I, 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 want, I want God in my life, and I want him to make my life whatever he wants to. I know I don't have to be good enough. 
But the only way I can be better is for him to be in here and make what he wants to, be, uh, to, to do in there. So, so those are the three steps. That's what we're going for. Now, here's, here's something very important to remember. You are put with those people, and God left us on this earth for one reason. And that was so that we could make a difference in their life. You don't need to, you don't need to try to be like other people. We're already enough like other people. I had a minister friend who tried all his life to, to, pr- to prove that he was human. That's a dumb thing. Everybody can see we're human. The only good you're going to do them is going to be because of the difference you can make in their life, not the sameness you can add. Jesus put it like this. You're the salt of the world. If salt loses its saltness, what good is it? God put you in that relationship so that you could make a difference, so that you could add something they don't have now. And so therefore, ultimately, God puts you in there to give them, to show them the love of God. Now here's two things that are going to be necessary, two things they're going to be looking to you for. If you're brave enough to do that, all the while they're with you, they're going to be looking for two things in your life that God made a difference. Number one, they're going to be saying... Does this person, is this, committed, this person committed beyond comfort? Is this person committed beyond convenience? You see, every person wants a religion that will make them feel more comfortable. Every person wants a religion to make them happier, bring them joy. Every person wants a religion that will make them feel right and everybody else wrong. That's not, that's not the truth. That's improving your life. But what they're looking to you for is something got a hold of these people that goes beyond comfort and convenience. Has something got a hold of their life that no matter how rough it gets, they cling to it anyhow because it's true. That's what they look to you for. We don't have to be fake about stuff. I remember Becky Pipper in her book, uh, uh, Out of the Salt Shaker, uh, wrote about a time she was on a plane and sitting beside a professor. And they were going on with a conversation. And the professor, uh, she picked up in the conversation, was very evidently either agnostic or atheist. And she was talking about his stuff. And so finally he said, well, what do you do? And Becky Pippert says, well, I, I uh, work for university. What's that? That's a ministry. Professor said, does that mean you're a minister? She said, uh, yeah. He goes, in silence, he says, well, that's, uh, that must be very uh, rewarding. She said, you know what? You know what was the tough part for me? And all of a sudden, he was interested. There's a tough part here. He was, he was used to hearing all the Christian platitudes. She said, what was the really tough part for me was, how do I know this thing's true? How do I know I'm not just deluding myself? How do I know... That, that Freud's not right. And I just want some idealized father up there. And I, so I've thought one up uh, to make up for all my inadequacies. Uh, how do I know that, that, that uh, Feuerbach or Nietzsche wasn't right? How do I know that Marx wasn't right? And this is just some sort of opiate. How do I know this stuff is really true? Well, man, the professor got real big eyes. He goes, well, that's my question. That's what I want to know. See what that does? 
That, 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 that really gives the second part of this. And that is not only do they have to see that you go beyond a comfort level, they have to see you're ready to learn because you're ready to seek the truth because you're absolutely confident that the truth will end up in God. This isn't just for our peace. This is for the truth. This is real. So that's what they're going to be looking to you for. Ultimately, though, and let me say this and sit down. The important part of this is not only that you share with them what they need to hear because they won't get it by osmosis. They really need to have the information that they need to make a decision. Ultimately, though, what will give them that sense that they want to respond to you as the vessel is because of your love for them as people. I want to say this as gently as I can. All of us have people with whom we get irritated in our lives. All of us have people that frustrate us. And usually how we treat it is to put them in a category. Because then we can handle them. If somebody's in a category, then we can handle them. Then we can relate to them. Most people begin to work on people as projects or as problems. And when they do that, what they're working with is not a person anymore. I want to tell you that's the most dangerous and unchristian thing you can do with your life. What you need to do is step back with the people who surround you, especially the non-people, who, non, the, 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 the non-believers who, who really irritate you. And you've got to remember, they're people. These are people. They're people God made. They're people God loves. They're just like you. They're people. That's why you're sharing with them. Not because you want to be right because you think they're wrong. Not because you want to, to, to improve them. Not because you want them to be like you. It's because you love them and you want them to be there for the party. You don't want them to miss out. You see, that's another difference between Christianity and every religion in the world. Our view of heaven is different than any other view of heaven. In the Eastern religions, heaven is the extinguishment of your individuality. There are no relationships because you don't exist anymore. In the Western religion, Judaism really, unfortunately, doesn't have a very sophisticated view of heaven. It doesn't have a very real view of heaven. But Islam, heaven is so individually oriented that, that, that relationships are just there for your gratification and pleasure. Only in Christianity is heaven a community of believers who love each other better than they ever have because they're surrounding their Lord together and worshiping Him. That's the only strong community heaven that there is. So why do we want them to go? So we can be with them. So we can continue to love them. I had a, a chance to ask my dad a couple years ago. I, I never talked with my dad about religion. Let me tell you why. My father died when I was very young, and my mom didn't remarry till I was late in elementary school. And, and here comes this wonderfully nice guy, quiet type, kind of a 
go-along, get-along kind of guy. But man, was he Catholic. And he was so Catholic. He, I mean, he was like never stepped foot in a Protestant church Catholic. He was like, he was like, you never talk about religion Catholic. And so an unwritten law in our house was you never talked about religion, ever. You never brought it up. And so even when I, even after I was saved when I was in college, and I wanted so badly to talk with my dad about that, I couldn't. But a couple years ago, he was in a nursing home, his choice. I wanted to, he, we both wanted him to come live with us, no way. But he was, he was going really downhill really fast. And man, I just, I said, I got to ask this. And I looked at him, I said, now this to a guy who I've never talked about anything deeper than the weather. I mean, you just didn't do that. And I said, Dad, I got to ask you a question. Well, he didn't like the sound of that. <laughs> he looked at me and he goes, what? I said, Dad, I, I know this is like invading privacy stuff, but I just got to know. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? He looked at me and he said, yeah. I said, let me ask again. <laughs> I had to get, I had to know, you know, because everybody's, oh, sure. Yeah, I'm American, aren't I? <laughs> so I went back to him. I said, now, Dad, let me, let me get this straight. Do you understand? Do you believe that without his death on the cross to cover your sins, you wouldn't be saved? He said, oh, yeah. And I said, oh, that's what I believe about me, too. He goes, hmm. He goes on to something else. <laughs> now, let me tell you why that conversation was so important to me. And then I'll sit down. Always before that time, I had my dad in a category. That's how I related to him, because we were never close. You know, when you're growing up, your parents are, your parents are either, your, your category is cool. Your parents are either cool or not cool. And 90% of the time, we're not cool. I mean, we're in that stage now, not cool. And my dad was not cool. I mean, he was a lunch pail guy. And he didn't talk, and he didn't wear cool shirts, and he didn't wear cool clothes, and didn't drive cool cars. There's nothing about him that's cool. But that's okay. You can relate to uncool parents. I mean, most people have uncool parents. And then I got a little older when I got educated, and, and, and my categories changed. Was he smart or was he not smart? Well, my dad never talked enough to determine whether he was smart. <laughs> I could, I could never figure that out. I didn't know. <laughs> then I got older, and I was going through my psychology stage. Everybody goes through a psychology stage. And I was working on my doctorate, and I was working at a, at a hospital for the mentally insane, and I was doing in all this counseling thing, so I had, to, I had to categorize him in counseling. I had to, I had to clinicize him. That's not a word either, but I, I love to use words that aren't words. I had, to, I had to make some clinical diagnosis. Well, of course, my dad's this way today because of this way, and you know. But, you know, as soon as you do that, they're not real people. They're just a category. They're an illness. They're a dysfunction walking around. But I got to this stage in my life where he's just a person. And I didn't want to go to heaven without him. Just wanted him there. 
Maybe there I'll get to know him. <laughs> but I didn't want him to miss the party. Do you have people in your life who you just want there because they're people? And you want them to know the joy and you want them to know the assurance. Well, I'll be praying for you this week and you pray for me that God will help us share the good news in his timetable. Pray with me. God, thank you that we have such great news to share. And thank you, God, that you have given us people to love, people that we want to be with us forever. And even if there are some irritating people that we could take or leave, <laughs> give us the heart not to leave them. We pray in Jesus' name.